Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to this week's Highway Community Podcast. This morning, we are continuing our teaching series entitled Unbounded, where we are journeying together through the Old Testament story of Ruth and exploring the ways that we see God's unbounded love in motion in relationships and the implications that that has for us as we walk with one another and with our neighbors as followers of Jesus. Well, so far in our series, uh, we have seen Ruth animate the unfailing nature of God's love in her relationship with Naomi. Last week with Julie, we saw Boaz animating the generous nature of God's love in his relationship with Ruth. And this morning, as we look again at Ruth and Naomi's relationship, we're going to see that in addition to being unfailing and generous, God's love is also reciprocal. But before we do that, uh, let's take just a moment to briefly recap the story so far. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, remember, and their two sons moved to Moab because of a famine in Israel. And then, over the course of the 10 years following the move, Naomi's husband died, as did both of her sons, leaving her and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, as widows. Well, after learning that the famine in Israel had ended, Naomi decided to return home to Bethlehem with her daughters-in-law. But along the way, she decided to encourage Orpah and Ruth to go back to Moab because their prospects would be better in their own country. Orpah decided to return, but Ruth chose to stay with Naomi. Ruth then went out into the fields to glean in order to provide some food for herself and Naomi. And while she was working, Boaz, the landowner, noticed her. And Boaz provided protection for Ruth. He included her at the table among the harvesters, and he arranged for her to gather an abundance of barley. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 23, says that Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And so that is the context as we pick up the story at the beginning of Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3 verse 1 says that one day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what a profound picture of unfailing love Ruth showed us through the way that she clung physically to Naomi. And now, as chapter 3 begins, we see Naomi reciprocating that love. We see Naomi here showing the same concern for Ruth's well-being that Ruth had shown to her. And it comes, interestingly enough, not through clinging, but rather through releasing. Naomi sees the need to release Ruth to a home where she will be well provided for. And she just so happens to have a plan for how to do that. She says in Ruth chapter 3, verse 2, 
now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. Well, as we listen to those verses, we definitely get a sense that Naomi has thought about all of this very carefully. And her concern for Ruth's success in this endeavor is evident in all of the details. And it's evident in the person that she selects, Boaz, who who is a relative and, and therefore has some connection. It's evident in the timing. Naomi knows that on this night, Boaz will be on the threshing floor which means that he will be alone. And then Naomi's concern for Ruth's success is also seen in her instructions for how Ruth is to prepare herself. Naomi tells Ruth to bathe and to put on perfumed oil and her best clothes. Now, these instructions that Naomi gives to Ruth about how she is to prepare herself share a lot in common with the way that a bride in the ancient Near East would prepare herself for marriage. However, a closer look at the text reveals that there is something even more fundamental going on. And we see this embedded in Naomi's instructions about what Ruth is supposed to wear. The NIV translation says that Naomi tells Ruth, to put on her best clothes, which is a translation that's, that's actually a pretty significant embellishment of the original text. And that's because the Hebrew word that's used is one that describes a generic piece of clothing that was worn by both men and women that covered the entire body except the head. And so when we compare that word for clothing here in Ruth chapter 3 with the other bridal descriptions in the Old Testament, like the one, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 16, where the nation of Israel is described as a bride metaphorically, the difference is significant. When we look at those other descriptions, Ruth is not decked out in the way that brides are typically described. And she is not wearing fine linen clothes and jewelry. But instead, Naomi has her putting on this very nondescript outer garment. Now, that doesn't mean that, that Naomi doesn't ultimately have marriage in mind for Ruth. But it does suggest that the primary vibe that she is encouraging Ruth to put out as she goes to visit Boaz is different. And there's an interesting parallel, actually, in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that I think gives us some insight into what that different vibe might be. Now, after David committed adultery with Bathsheba and, and everything else that followed, God sent the prophet Nathan 
to communicate his judgment. And part of that judgment was that the son that had been born to David by Bathsheba would die. And when David heard that news, he immediately went into mourning. He put on sackcloth. He spent the nights lying on the ground and he refused to eat. But then when David was informed that his son had actually passed, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, says that David got up from the ground. And after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. And so, after David's son had died, his period of mourning was over. It was time for David to move on. And the sign of that was that he got up, washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. All of which sounds awfully familiar, right? And it sounds familiar because it's pretty identical to what Naomi instructs Ruth to do. And the word that's used for clothes is the same one that is used in Ruth chapter 3. And for David, all of these things were a sign that his period of mourning was over. And Naomi is encouraging Ruth effectively to do the same thing here. She is encouraging her to change her appearance in this way as a sign that her period of mourning is ending, as a sign that that she is ready to return to normal activity. Well, after Naomi lays out her elaborate plan, Ruth receives it. Ruth chapter 3 verse 6 says that she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, there is a lot of pretty scintillating discussion among interpreters about what actually happened that night on the threshing floor between Ruth and Boaz. And part of that is because in the ancient Near East, at winnowing time, Uh, The threshing floor was known for being a place of promiscuity. Men would be out spending the nights in the fields, and prostitutes would go out and offer their services. So the threshing floor definitely had a reputation for being a charged atmosphere, in a manner of speaking. And then, on top of that context, some of the language that is used in these verses— and particularly the words translated as uncover and lay down, 
uh, carry some rather risky connotations in the original language. But despite all of that, when we look carefully at the interaction between Ruth and Boaz, we see that they are operating here according to an entirely different code. And I would argue uh, that the sexual tension that is embedded in the language is actually the text's way of underscoring uh, the countercultural nature of what happens. And we have Boaz spending the night on the threshing floor, right, in this spiritual climate where, where the average person would have welcomed a visit from a woman during the night. I remember this story of Ruth takes place during the times of the judges, which was a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And yet Boaz is clearly surprised when he wakes up and finds someone who's next to him. And then we have Ruth who comes and and makes this very different kind of offer to Boaz than what might ordinarily be expected given the context. And she says to him in verse nine, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, as strange as this request might sound to our modern ears, in the context of ancient Israel, this request that Ruth is making would have been abundantly clear. In the ancient Near East, the gesture of a man covering a woman with his garment was a well-known symbol of marriage. It signified the establishment of a new relationship and served as a declaration of the husband to provide for the sustenance of his future wife. And so by asking Boaz to, to cover her with the corner of his garment, Ruth was asking him to take her under his wing and to marry her. But then, as if everything that has happened up to this point hasn't been audacious enough, as Ruth does that, she also appeals to Boaz as a guardian redeemer. Similar to the gleaning laws that Julie discussed last week, the role of the guardian redeemer was something that God included in his law as a way for his people to mirror the redemption that they had experienced from their slavery in Egypt. And as it's outlined for us in Leviticus chapter 25, a guardian redeemer was the nearest adult male blood relative who served as an advocate for a vulnerable or unfortunate family member. And so, you know, not only is Ruth asking Boaz to marry her here, but by appealing to him as a guardian redeemer, she is also positioning her proposal in the language of a family obligation to God's law, which is really bold, given the fact that technically, you know, Ruth is a Moabite whose connection to Boaz is distant and indirect, to say the least. And that only makes Boaz's response even more remarkable. He says to Ruth in verse 10, The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, 
whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Just like we saw last time, Boaz, once again here, is gracious and generous. He sees Ruth. He sees her character, and he sees the purity of her intentions. And as a result, he accepts her proposal. And what a beautiful story of redemption it is. Ruth, who demonstrated unbounded love by selflessly sacrificing her home and her people and her gods and her prospects in order to cling to Naomi, now experiences that same love in return as Naomi's plan releases her to reestablish all of those things in Israel. And all of that reveals something important about the nature of God's unbounded love. And that is that it's reciprocal. God's love is reciprocal. It gives and receives. Now, something that can be easy to to overlook as we get swept up both in the action of this story and in just really the magnitude of, of Ruth's transformation here, something that can be easy to overlook is Naomi's transformation. Right? Naomi, remember, at the end of chapter one, had returned to Bethlehem bitter after everything that she had experienced, and understandably so. And when Ruth physically clung to her, Naomi, you might remember, tried to send her back to Moab. But Ruth would just not let go. And Naomi ultimately received the grace of Ruth's sacrificial love. And now, months later, we see Naomi reciprocating that love through this elaborate plan that she conceives, which I think highlights something very important for us as we seek to put God's love in motion in our relationships. And that is how transformational it is for us to receive love. Right? Naomi's gift of love to Ruth in this story highlights how transformational it is for us to receive love. And that's an important thing to recognize because I think most of the time we tend to gravitate toward giving love. And that somehow we just tend to be more comfortable with that. And I know, at least for me, and and maybe this is true for you as well, I'm more comfortable giving love as opposed to receiving love because of pride. My pride makes me want to be self-sufficient. My pride makes me not want to be reliant on other people. My pride makes me not want to be a bother 
or an inconvenience to others. Right? Receiving love fundamentally requires a, a certain vulnerability that, that's just at odds with my pride. And so it can be hard for us to receive love from others. And yet, as we see from Naomi's journey, right, receiving love can be something that is so transformational. And that is uh, something that I know I have experienced recently in a very personal way during the time that I spent in Modesto while my brother was in the hospital. That God just poured out his love through people, right, in, in every way imaginable. And all that I could do was receive it. That there were people who called and texted and sent emails. There were, there were people who took calls and listened and prayed. There were people who dropped off food for Lynn and the kids while I was away. There were people who at a moment's notice watched our dogs so that Lynn could come quickly to join me at a pivotal time. My, my staff teammates covered all kinds of things and even stepped in to lead a Sunday gathering that, that enabled this, the start of this series in Ruth to be pushed back a week so, so that I could continue to be present with my brother. And I mean, it was, it was overwhelming, right? literally overwhelming when those things were happening or, or when I would think about them or when I would see someone after I got back. I, I was just overwhelmed by emotion. Right? The tears would just flow. Right? There is something transformational that comes when we receive God's love from others. And Naomi's story powerfully shows us how that love that we receive can then in turn powerfully inform the love that we give. Right? Her story shows us that there is nothing that better informs how to put God's love into motion in our relationships than to receive love. And all that receiving love requires is that we simply say yes. All that it requires is that we set aside our pride and in, in whatever form that that takes, and say yes to receiving God's love from others. And so the question for us this morning, as we consider what it looks like to lean into the reciprocal nature of God's love, is are there barriers that prevent you from receiving love? Are there barriers that prevent you from saying yes to receiving love from others? And if so, what are they? Are there barriers that prevent you from saying yes to receiving love from others? And if so, what are they?
And what's a step that you might take toward dismantling one or more of those barriers? When we receive God's love from others, we grow in our capacity to reciprocate and to put God's love in motion in profound ways in our relationships. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this really beautiful story of Ruth and for all of the various ways that it shows us your love in motion in the context of relationships. And thank you, Father, for the very subtle but very important reminder that Naomi is for us about the importance of receiving love. And we confess the various struggles that we have with that this morning. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would show us the barriers that we have tucked away in our hearts that make us reticent to receive. Would you show us those today? And Holy Spirit, would you help us take steps to be humble enough to receive love from others so that we might be transformed God, by your love, as it's demonstrated to us and transformed in a way that we might reciprocate that love, in a way that we might give love to others in return. Would you shape our hearts after yours, Father? And would you open us up to all of the things that you have for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.